The Slate Ridge Dam is a massive expanse of concrete. It rises high above the dead pines. But below the processing centre, three storeys down, we meet Team Wormwood collapsing through a steel door. They are all battered, bruised and bloodied. You have fought your way down three separate storeys. You've fought Wendigos at every turn, you've taken damage, and you have handed out damage. Puck is bleeding from the forehead. She looks exhausted. Riley throws his katana into the corner, cursing its uselessness and his low rolls. Alistair is shaking. He is weak. His side is stapled closed where the Wendigo's claws had pierced the skin and punctured his lung. You are a bedraggled rescue party, but you have made it to the lowest level. You are here to find your civilians, plant your explosives, and get out. There's still civilians down here. This is bad, because I... I guess we can't be sure that they're not trying to trick us, but... We have to... We have to plant the explosives anyway, so... I've got those in my bag, so... Oh, Let's yeah. all stick together. We'll check down there first, and... If there's nothing there, we pull out, plant the explosives, and get back to the car. Alright. And move out as fast as we can, okay? Yep. If it gets any worse, I'm going in alone, and the three of you are going back. <laughs> that way Heath can be proud of me that I died doing exactly the dumb thing he would have done. Somehow, even without any proper reception, because you're so deep down, Alistair, you get a ping on your phone. Uh, great. Probably your dad checking up on you. Alistair looks at Puck. <laughs> like, clearly, he needs Oh, Heath. sarcasm. Yes, no, I don't have any family. Thank you for reminding me of that at a personal crisis. You are welcome. Uh, Alistair checks his phone. It is a notification of a missed call from Ernest. Okay, I'm going to listen to the message. Hey, Alistair. It's me, Ernest. Uh, you already know that. I'm in your contacts. Uh, anyway, uh, so I'm on the move. All the watchmen are. Um, listen, I've, I've made up my mind and I'm acting on that decision. I'm doing stuff again. And I know you're going to be like, oh, she's off running around doing dumb stuff again. I need... I need you to trust me with this, Alistair. Trust me like before. Before that night, before I left. I know I haven't earned that trust back. I know I don't deserve that trust, but I need you to trust me. A lot of people are going to die tonight, both Tyr and Wendy goes, and I have the ability, therefore I have the responsibility to do something. So I'm, I'm going to do it. And what I need is for when the time comes, and you'll know when, for you to blow the dam. It's the only way we can stop lots of people dying. I'll talk to you soon. 
Alistair looks down at his phone for a second and tries not to think about the possibilities of the trouble Ernest might be getting into or is about to get into. And then he presses the redial button and listens and waits until it finishes ringing out. And then on the message tone, he speaks and he says, Hey, buddy. Thanks for, um, thanks for letting me know this time. I'm here for you. Just tell me when. And I'm proud of you. Puck has assembled the others. She's staring down this corridor with one of the chemical lights in her hand, her gun in the other. All right. We're going to go in quick, we're going to find them, we're going to set the explosives and we're going to come out. We're going to do it fast. Any objections? Not for me. By the way, if you see anything that doesn't look exactly like a human, shoot first. Shoot it. Meanwhile, in the town of Slate Ridge, as night is falling, the civilians have all been moved out. The only ones left are Ant in the basement of the library with the two Wendigo hostages? The two captured Wendigos, anyway. Heath is standing on the rooftop of one of the buildings where he can see the majority of the town. He is looking out at his crew spread across this wall of felled trees, this barricade. He has noticed that the watchmen have all more or less vanished without telling him where they have gone. He is seething quietly about this when his phone begins to ring. Looking down, he recognises the number that he was told to expect that is the Cousins, the American equivalent of the Tear Society. Heath pulls open his phone. O'Sullivan here. Morning, Star. O'Sullivan, is that you? Yes, sir. Who am I speaking to? Marshall. Flint Marshall. Ah, Flint. Wonderful. From the agency. Yeah. How you doing, pal? We could be doing better. Any good news for me? So I've heard. Yeah, listen. Uh, so... The agency, uh, we have our people stationed. We're at the bottom of the uh, valley at the moment. Uh, we're about to head a team up towards you. The plan is if you can flush these things out and head them down the valley towards us, we should be able to uh, catch them in a little net formation we've got going on here. So uh, I've got some people on their way up to help you out, but... Uh, yeah, any way you can think of of uh, getting them all together and headed them down this way, uh, we'll be we'll be ready for them. Heath pauses for a second and just holds the phone in his hand. 
and slowly his eyes drift from watching the wall all the way up to looking at the dam. We return to the dam. Alistair, Puck, Riley and Thomas, you have descended the steps. You have followed this corridor down into the basement of this facility into the turbine room. There is no power down here. The turbines have been switched off. You see that a lot of the wiring has been gutted from fuse boxes with claws. You see that some of the machinery has been tampered with and attacked. You are standing in one more corridor. You are looking at these turbines that from here you are seeing basically uh, the maintenance end, the manufacturing end as they are then projected out into the water. This is the place where you would plant your explosives. Uh, I'm going to roll investigation for the room Mm -hmm. to see if there's any people down here or any signs of people. That's a nine. With a nine, you know that you heard voices, whether human or Wendigo, it's too hard to tell really, but you're sure that there must be other people down here. There is uh, more storage down here. There are other rooms down here, but the space that you're in right now is empty. Okay, so this room will offer the most amount of damage if we place the explosives here. So, uh, Puck, I want you to put yours over by that turbine. Uh, Riley, in that corner. Thomas, on the other side of the turbine. And I'll put mine over there. Plant them. Set them to remote detonation only. Then meet back in the middle of the room. And we search the rest of the building. Clear? Clear. Uh, Alistair shuffles over to the corner of the room where his explosive needs to be. Takes out of the bag, places it sets the, you know turns it on whatever whatever needs to happen and then he's going to take out his phone and try and call Heath uh, you as you're trying you get the notification no signal it flickers between no signal great. and very very low bars okay <sighs> great alright looks like we don't have uh, comms everyone assume Alistair would also try like his um commu- tier communicator and I assume that doesn't work either no um take another d4 of damage for me Alistair since it's been some time yep uh, that's just another one mm, very lucky very nice alright uh you feel that the the staples and the bandaging is holding quite nicely it is still tight in your chest, hard to breathe, but it seems like perhaps your lungs are not, in fact, filling. Maybe they're not even punctured. It's hard to tell. But so far, you don't feel too much the worse for wear, considering it is at this point that you hear a small scuffling and the creak of a door behind you. Six o'clock. Six o'clock. Alistair turns and trains the gun behind him. Right. As you turn, Puck reacts, Riley reacts, Thomas reacts, and three torches are pointed directly to this door. And you see, shielding his eyes from the light, you see an old man uh, with 
a very square, unkempt beard with heavy eyebrows uh, and thinning hair. He's wearing like a boilermaker's jumpsuit, uh, a worker's uniform. He has in his hand that is he's using his like forearm to cover his eyes in that hand. He's holding a snub nose revolver. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. What's, yeah. Your, what's your name? As Harold. Oh, can you move the torches, please? Yeah. Guys, don't, don't blind him. Okay. Give me a weapon. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll pass on that little guy. Uh, Worth a I'm try. assuming if you were uh, one of those things, well, you probably wouldn't have torches, and you probably would have ripped my throat out by now. Congratulations. I mean, I'm still alive. I'd call that good enough for me right now. Yeah. Are you the only one? No. No, there's two more. But they're injured. Where? We were... Well, we were in the lunchroom when they... It doesn't matter. We got down here and we locked ourselves in, but I don't think it took them long to get in. So... So there were two with you when you came down? Yeah. Okay. I can't move them up myself. And... Well, we were afraid that... If we made a move, they'd come for us, but... I heard voices and it didn't sound like them. Are you police? Uh, Something like that. That's comforting. Some kind of G-man, huh? You know it. All right, well... Listen, uh... Well, we'll get you and your friends out of here. But we need to do it quick before they come back. We killed two, but... There's at least one more out there. I killed seven. That's a lie. Anyway, here, come come with me. You don't say. Um, he leads you through this door uh, and you find that through another small corridor, there is a very small... Um, it's basically like a little meter room where they can check the depth gauges and all these things for a bunch of different equipment in a very small basically closet and you find um two other men in there one a fair bit younger um and one very portly and middle-aged both of them um have big cuts and lacerations some of them on the backs some of them on the legs um and they are huddled in this room where they've obviously been hiding for at least several hours probably longer Thomas Riley, take a look at take a look at those two. Alistair Puck pulls you aside. I um I can't get through to Heath. Yeah, me neither. I tried already. Listen, uh, that message I was listening to. Did you hear it? No, I was a bit busy. Yeah, it was from Ernest. He, uh, silly guy, going in on his own as usual. Anyway, he. Wants us to blow the dam. Okay. Well, that doesn't sound like an order from Heath. No, it's not. He said to wait for a signal, which, of course, he didn't tell me what that was, so that's helpful. For sure. (sighs) Yeah. I'm starting to think maybe I'm a little hard on Heath. Leading people is 
difficult. I don't like this. It's I being responsible <laughs> is working hard. on my own was yes, so much easier. Yeah. I mean, anything's easier working with you, but yeah, I know. <laughs> Look, I think I don't think we have a whole lot of options here. We've got our civilians. We've done our job so far. Now we just need to get out. How does this sound to you? Yeah. I'll lead the way. I'll go at the front. We can assume most of them are going to try and stop us from getting out, right? I would, if I were them. We'll have this old guy and maybe, well, Riley's proven himself to be uh, the least adept. She's saying very quietly. <laughs> Careful. If we arm them and they can help the other survivors, the ones who are injured, maybe you and Thomas can bring up the rear. You can use that gun of yours to make sure nothing surprises us from behind. I'll keep a path clear and we'll just get ourselves out of here and we'll call Heath from the car. We should be still in range to blow if we need to. I'll, uh, I'll run up the rear. Get Thomas in front with you. All right. Um, Alistair, are you okay? <laughs> Never better, Puck. Hmm. Hey, I got a question for you. Yeah. How do you follow Will Smith in the snow? You follow the fresh prints. <laughs> she winks and then <laughs> turns around to organize the others. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me laugh. It hurts too much. You're too tense, Alistair. And I, can I see... have a punctured lung. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got a headache. What do you want? I bet you do. Come on, let's get out of here. Puck forms you all up and begins to move. Riley and Harold Smigs. I can't remember if he identified himself or not anymore. Uh, Harold. He did. Uh they are in the middle supporting the two other survivors moving slowly. Um, uh, Thomas is up the front with Puck watching her back as she leads the way. She's moving out a little bit ahead of the group to make herself the most obvious target. You can see now that she has um, her revolver in, sorry, her pistol in one hand and one of Heath's battens in the other. She's strapped the chemical light uh, to the front of her vest as she's walking so that she doesn't have to hold it as she begins to move up. In the valley below, within the deep crowd of milling, whining, howling wendigos, Ernest Marsh, you've stepped into the clearing. With a flare in hand, you've stepped into the ring. Cord stands before you, this tall, skinny, angular figure, this Wendigo with its spreading lattice of antlers. Very bold, one. Very bold. You have no strength with which to challenge me. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, hello, my name is Ursmash. Uh, I'm here to uh, do what I said before. To challenge the Alpha, and I assume that's you? If no more challenge me, then yes. Well, that's why I'm here. You wish to challenge? No, I don't wish to. I'm here already. I have challenged you. A human. Yes. He begins to prowl around you. He drops to all fours. The the back sort of arches and hunches almost like a cat's as he moves. These long strides ahead always angled towards you, the antlers dipping as you step more into the centre. He begins to circle you. The flare is still burning in your hand, casting everything into a red light. You feel another tremor as the earth moves beneath you and flicking your eyes up, you see the moon is still looking red as if there's a stain spreading across the surface. You have seen in your time as a park ranger in these things, backburns and other things that put smoke into the air and change the color of the moon because of the way that the light is refracted. I don't know if that's how you say that. Um, where it's turned orange. But you've never seen anything quite like this. This is strange. The Wendigo continues to prowl. And what would a human wish to do to me? What can you do to me, little one? Ernst puts his hands in his pockets and follows the Wendigo with his eye. He says, Well, uh, my goal here is to stop as many people from getting hurt as possible, so I'm not going to hurt you. I doubt I can, really. Hmm. You bring no weapon. No gun. No fire. Nothing to harm me, and yet you want to challenge me? You want to challenge me? Oh, well, I mean, there's a lot of things I could do here. I could just be trying to piss you off. I mean, there's a lot of options. But um, first things first, I've introduced myself. You are... Names are a vestige of that which dies. Uh, I've already spoken to one of you about this. Hey, hey, you, you, over there. Yeah, you, come over here. No, not you, you. No, not you, you. See, see, it's stupid, all right? Names are important. <laughs> you say there's kind of like a weird sort of... Uh, <laughs> he like puts palms. I don't mean actually come up. Yeah, I'm a couple of them are like shuffling forwards, uncertain. I'm making the you point. see one of them. They're all these massive, tall, skiddy creatures. These nightmarish figures. One of them's like pointing to itself, and then it's like looking around, and then another one's going, "Wait, me? Uh, no, no, him." And then like two of them step forward at the same time. Then one of them steps back, and then they're unsure. See, this, this is a perfect example of the fundamental flaw with everything you're trying to do here. You're trying to put together a group, yet you have no individuality. You're not allowing yourself to have any individuality. So what does that make this? It just makes this into a situation of bragging rights about who's on top, not an actual group that's here to survive. I'm here to make a group that can survive. Make a... I never know what to call it. It's not a linguistics check because that's what we've been calling it in solar. Um, yeah, make a silver tongue check. Nine. Okay. Um, with a nine, there is sort of a low murmuring of voices. The way they speak, and all at once it's hard to tell 
whether they are agreeing with you, whether they're questioning you, whether they're just asking how you happen to get into the circle without being seen. Um, but you are making a stir of sorts. Um, Cord continues to circle you. I do admire the arrogance it takes to step into the circle. The self-confidence. See, it's funny. Whenever anyone else gets into the circle, it's arrogance. But when you're in the circle, it's strength. It's, it's, it's interesting. Arrogance is the human fault. But isn't arrogance when you don't know anything about me, yet you're making these judgments? I, I don't, don't need, need to. to. <laughs> That's arrogance, all right. Says the little creature. Says the little minuscule thing responsible for destroying as much of his environment as he can get his hands on. Says the creature who thinks he is so important, so far above his own ecosystem, that he will burn it while he is still standing there. What ecosystem? I have no ecosystem. What am I? In all your powers of deduction and reasoning, what exactly am I? I don't care what you are. That's arrogance. Yes, because he he kind of clicks his claws one by one. Because I don't need to know what you are to gut you. Is uh, anyone else hearing this? Ernest uh, turns to the, the crowd of Wendigos. So you want a leader who will run into any situation without understanding the circumstances. Tell me, is it powerful, still addressing the crowd, to run into a fight... Three to one. That's not about your own power. That's called a stupid plan and not understanding the circumstances. So tell me, do you want a leader who, through his own ego, will send you on horseback against a line of cannons? A leader who will brush off the fact that you will all be decimated by just saying you weren't strong enough. To survive, you need to have a plan. Not this stupidity. Not this ego. You have a very high estimation of a human capability. When a bear attacks a hive, do the bees have a plan when they attack? No. They move on instinct. They defend their home. They defend their own. Does the bear have a plan? When it attacks, no. It kills to eat, it defends its young. There is nothing else. The closest thing to a plan you will see in nature, little one, is a wolf pack hunting. We are the pack. We have all the organization we need, we have all the strategy we need. If you need strategy, to win, you're not capable of winning without it. And look what happened to wolves. Yeah, there are some wild ones, but uh, most of them are pets now. As you begin to mount the steps, as you are heading from this third and this third basement level you are heading up um puck hears the noise first and pulling the gun up directs it directly above her on the staircase as a wendigo drops from above 
she fires two rounds into its chest um, as it drops almost on top of her. Alistair, uh, you can see more coming down the stairs towards her, and you have a chance to act first. Roll okay, yeah, I'm gonna... Okay. You get to go first, and then we go with the initiative order. Alright, I got a two for initiative. So I'll be going at the end. Okay. Uh, okay, so... Yep, so Alistair, I got a nine for, init- for perception, so I'm fairly certain there's nothing behind us, right? Uh, not at this stage, no. Yeah, alright. So I spin round and squeeze off a shot to the one that attacked Puck. Ooh, And that is... Oh, sorry. What? No, sorry, the other one. That's what I meant. Yeah, the one coming down the stairs. Yeah. Uh, that's a three with disadvantage to attack. With three with disadvantage. All right, the gun rolls as well. It gets I rolled one. three twice, actually. Ooh. You nice. shoot. Um, it's moving too fast. You take out the right-hand side of this set of stairs. You explode nice. through. There is a wrenching of metal and a spray of concrete dust as you basically puncture a massive hole in the staircase. Um, it can be edged around at the side, but it's going to be difficult. What did you get? Uh, nat 12. All right. Next up Ooh. is Thomas. Okay, and I roll again. I also got another natural 12. So Thomas is just going to charge and crash tackle the one on top of Puck off of her. All right. And with that 12, I'm going to, like, hold it to the ground. All right, you pin it down. Maybe you even kick it down the kind of the hole so it falls through because this kind of staircase is really, like, basically steel. Oh, yeah, sure. Slatted stairs, um, you know, a frame. It's not stone or anything. You can basically kick it down to the floor below you. Um, All right, now it's Riley. Uh, Come on, Riley. With an eight, his first actual hit. Riley Yay! is Riley, who is completely oblivious, <laughs> uh, also manages to use the pistol, which he seems to be better at, and takes a shot at the the third Wendigo, which is at the top of the stairs. Um, he hits it, and he does six damage. Uh, all right, now it's Wendigo's turn. So the one on top of Puck has been shoved down. There's one that missed Alistair's shot, and there's another one at the top of the stairs. All right, with a 10, one of them attacks you, Thomas, and it slashes at you for six damage, and the second one's going to attack Puck, and with a six, it misses. All right, we are at Alistair's go again. Okay, uh, so I will shoot at the one that attacked Puck this time. Mm-hmm. That's a two at disadvantage. Well, the gun got an 11. Okay. Alistair, Yay! you are finding it difficult to balance well on the stairs, which are shaking quite dramatically after you shot a hole in them. Um, but you manage to steady yourself Funny just that. a little, and the gun swivels again and is able to pick off the one that's on top of um, Puck. Roll for damage. 14 damage. Okay, that's very good. Uh, yeah, oh, you yeah. take this one in the chest and you fling it back into the stairs and up. Um, into the one behind it, giving you some room to move. Puck keeps moving forward. She jumps the gap and starts pushing in, using the baton to swing out at them, pushing them back up the stairs, giving room for you guys to negotiate around. Um, okay. 
whatever his name is, um, Thomas is going to jump over the gap and reach out for um, Riley to ferry the injured to him. Yeah, you and Harold ferry the injured ones over. Alistair, you are the last to come. There is still one below you now that is scrambling for the bottom of the stairs. Make another um, silver tongue check. Oh, that's an eight. Okay. That's another success. You hear a few howls of indignation. You hear murmuring that begins to break up and above the low sound that you had heard before as some begin to argue with each other in the crowd. Cord stops his prowling and stands towering above you. And what would you have us become, little one? Like you? Just another creature that destroys everything it touches with no regard for its own survival? Humans were the pinnacle of predators. So much so that they killed everything that sustains them. You want us to become the same? to remove ourselves from our nature, from the nature of our world, to think we are above it, to think we can... Ernest begins to slowly start doing what Cord was before, starts circling Cord in a circle, and he turns and addresses the crowd. Absolutely not. You all might have noticed this, but every single time I say something that he can't directly answer, he just goes into this tirade about nature. I'm not talking about nature. I'm not talking about changing you all. I'm talking about the fact that you are going up against something you cannot withstand. And that's no slight on your strength. It's the fact you're going up against Tyr. And not just Tyr, every facet of Tyr. They are calling in all the cavalry, pulling all the stops. You are going up against a force you cannot handle. And in a few moments, sure, the tide might be rising, but you guys are about to be swept away. And that's not because you're not strong enough. It's just the logistics of numbers and the fact they have guns. Here's the thing. Nature be damned, because under me, I can lead you out of here. Under him, he will lead you against a force that you can barely even number. He will lead you in an act of arrogance and spite because he thinks he's the best. When actually, to be the best, you need to know when to not pick a fight. Cord seems very, at first, bemused and then just downright insulted as you begin to circle him like you stole his trick. (laughs) Like going, what is this? Because you're so much smaller than him. Make one more silver tongue check for me. Okay. You hear hushed silence. No more arguing. No more chittering. No more growls. No more howls. Just silence. Cord reaches down and using his claws, he grabs you by the back of your coat and lifts you into the air to face him. You appeal to emotion, little one. That is a concept that comes after instinct. Instinct is survival. It is to eat, it is to kill, it is to protect, and it is to further 
the existence of your kind. That is what is most base. That is the foundation of all living things. You want us to abandon what is core to us for something high-minded, something with no foundation, something that does not exist outside of your head. Do you truly think anyone here will follow an alpha like you? Ernest smiles at Cord in a, a pitying type of way because he was hoping to not have to do this. And he slowly reaches his hand out and touches Cord's hand. And as Cord blinks, Ernest is no longer in his hand. He is standing a few meters back in the middle of the circle and there are no Wendigos around them. The valley is completely empty. Ernest leans down and scoops up a handful of dirt from the ground. And he leans back up and looks at Cord and he lets it run through his fingers. And first it goes in large clumps and pieces of dirt and then it starts to run smoother as sand runs through his hand. And they are standing in the middle of the desert. And Anna says, This is my nature. This is my environment. The layers between. Outside of nature, outside of reality. What lies behind. So how about I show you a few things? You make your way painfully up the steps. Uh, You have reached nearly the final floor. You're almost back to ground level again. Uh, Alistair, make another perception check. Puck is still fighting uh, Thomas and Riley with her. There are still those two Wendigos ahead that they have been fending off. Uh, Puck, you can see as you're rounding up the rear, you're getting separated from them little bit by little bit as they are moving faster. Puck is moving like a dynamo. She's exchanged her gun for the chains again. So with her right hand, she's lashing out with the chains. With her left, she's defending with the baton. Uh, She's moving back and forth, keeping the others covered. I got a two for my perception check, so not very good. Alistair, you have been trying to keep up. You've been focusing on the occasional shot that you've taken um, at the Wendigos who are ahead of the group when there's been a clear moment. And also, I'm probably constantly looking behind us as well, so that would account um, for that too. It would. Yeah, you've been constantly looking at it behind you. You've now reached the the top of the stairs. Okay. Um, at this moment, you are working your way with your arm held out to support yourself on the wall you are heading back along this first corridor that you were in the two bodies of the dead wendigos are gone and as you come parallel with the double doors that lead into that main uh, industrial area the main floor you feel the coalescing in the back of your mind the little lizard the little snake curling in on itself and you hear faustus's voice you're not alone look and you feel your body moved as if by a string you're pulled in the direction to look uh, the two doors which you had passed by earlier as you continued down looking for the 
civilians have little glass panels in them. Yep. You can see through now. And as you kind of bring your torch up, just to look, just instinctually, you shine it through the glass and you see a dozen pair of reflective eyes looking back at you. You hear the voice in your head. This might call for something a little more utilitarian. And you feel in your hands the service revolver shift. Something changes. There's a clicking sound of intricate mechanics moving. And it elongates. It widens. And in your hands is a pump-action shotgun. Ooh, very nice. Is it also kind of that black, matte black, rectangular steel box Mm -hmm. kind of construction? It looks like the same designer that designed your pistol, your revolver, designed this. Trying to keep words as minimal as possible. Uh, How how far away is Puck, by the way? Uh, They are almost to the doors. She is fighting... The last two, one of them has fallen, one of the Wendigos. Riley has got very badly injured, and Puck is going toe-to-toe with one of them, almost in the doorway, keeping it uh, almost cornered in as the others try and slip behind her outside. Okay. (sighs) Okay, well, uh, Alistair's going to call out, before he looks, he's going to call out, Puck, Greek fire, left window! Um... Puck swivels. And then, depending on how busy she is, he'll throw it himself. But I'm probably going to have to throw at disadvantage because my right hand's busy and my left arm is also kind of busy. She swivels with a natural one. Um, you you mean the Greek fire canisters? Yeah. She fumbles to I want her, her to belt. throw one through the window. For one. But seeing the opportunity, seeing the distraction, the Wendigo lunges forward and takes her around the throat. I got 11 to intercept. To intercept the, the Wendigo. Wendigo. All right, it literally jaws first, goes for her throat until a nunchuck cracks through in between and, like, intercepts the muzzle. <laughs> yeah! And then uh, Thomas is basically going to, like, grab it around the mouth and, like, start to pry its mouth open to get by Puck some time to throw the canister. Puck brings one leg up, like, right to the knee to the chest and just kicks it straight in the diaphragm while you've, got like, got its head there. She just goes, bang, kicks it, um, and this thing begins to slump forward. She ducks under, um, pulling the canister of Greek fire. Alistair, you are directly in front of her and you've seen the movement. These things are moving for the door, which you are directly in front of. What are you doing? Okay, so Alistair can see that Puck will be ready to throw it in a second. Um, And he just calls out, I'll give you an opening. He's going to... So I'm directly in in front of the doors, facing the doors, right? Yes, you are. Great. Um, I just hold the shotgun up, pointing it at roughly where the lock of the door is, but also just kind of the center of the door. Mm-hmm. I hope this works. And I pull the trigger. Again, you feel that familiar sa- sensation of heat expanding and then contracting fast into a cold, hard knot of power before exploding. This is like no other power you felt. 
This is almost like the tank round. This thing hits so hard and yet there is no kickback. The doors are blown forwards, almost off their hinges into the oncoming Wendigos. As you do this, you hear, you feel more than you hear, with a nat 12, Puck uh, call your name as she throws overarm in sort of like a pitcher's curveball fashion, throws the canister of Greek fire. It ricochets off the wall behind you into the room in front of you. It kind of goes ba-ting and in. You see Alistair it. instinctively ducks yeah. and moves to the side. You see it fling forwards into the stunned Wendigos who have just been hit by the doors exploding inwards. You throw... Are you moving? Are you throwing yourself to the side? What are you doing? Yep, I throw myself to the left. No, to the right, not the left. Don't want to land on the left. <laughs> because that would be on the other side. No, because the left is <laughs> the punctured lung side. Okay, fair enough. All right, to your right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you to throw my, yourself to my right. Yes. You throw yourself to the ground, take another D4, as this thing explodes almost in the doorway. There is a roar of fire. You feel air sucked in through the corridor into this room as it explodes. Did you take your damage? I have, I took three damage. Okay. Um you feel your body impact the ground, the shock of pain uh, radiating from your chest. You also feel the gun kick forwards in your hands. It actually pulls you up and to your feet. Behind you, you can hear Puck's shouts. You can hear uh, Riley and Thomas. You can hear the howl of the last Wendigo that they seem to be fighting. But there's no time to focus on that. Alistair, you are standing again, even though you don't quite remember how as one after another Wendigos begin to stream out of this room, many of them burning or smouldering, some of them full on fire as they rush into the corridor, some up the wall onto the ceiling, others down along the ground. They are coming in twos and threes. You can't count how many. All right, Alistair starts moving backwards, so he's facing them, moving backwards and backing up the corridor as it slowly fills with these screaming flaming creatures that are coming for him and he pulls a smoke grenade off his belt and pulls the pin throws it skimming along the floor as it starts to spin and a smoke cloud rises okay um and i want to glance back over my shoulder to see how far the others have got away uh you can see that the civilians are outside but puck and Riley and Thomas are still in the doorway grappling with the last one who seems desperately fighting to try and keep them inside. So Alistair was backing up to give himself time to throw the um, smoke grenade. And now that he's thrown that and it's starting to fill with smoke, he's going to stop moving backwards. He's going to stand there kind of hunched over. He's He's still got his left hand pressed into his side to try and stop as much blood from coming out as possible and he's going to grip hold of the shotgun he knows he's got just a few seconds before they're going to come through the smoke at him he slowly removes his hand from his side feeling like the extra surge of pain as soon as that familiar compression is broken he reaches in and 
pulls out one of his switchblades, clicks it open, so he's got his um, knife in his left hand, brings the shotgun up in his right hand, again rolling his neck, trying to trying to just ignore the pain as much as he can because he knows he's going to need to be fast for this. Okay. Let's do this. And he's going to start running forward back into the smoke. Okay. And as he does that, he brings the shotgun up. uh, And I'd like to roll... um, Yeah, I guess just roll attack or damage to start because you're in such a confined space I'm going to say forget about hitting because basically every shot with the shotgun in this space is going to hit something so we're just going to do damage sure okay Uh, so he starts to see like the red glow and the shadow of the antlers of the first one that's starting to make it out of the smoke and he pulls the trigger uh, he only does five damage to that one. Well, oh, this wait, should be no, your two. On. I think we said shot was two d eight plus four. Thirteen damage for the first one. Okay, uh, that will kill the first one, which was already slightly damaged from before. Nice. As the first one drops to the side, you bend low. Another shape flickering through the smoke as the antlers and the first claws begin to swipe outwards. Alistair ducks to avoid the claws and then brings his knife up, cutting across the arm that was coming for him because he's ducked to the right, slices across the arm and then brings the shotgun up, again ducking to the right and behind it and fires straight into its back. Another one falls. This time one from the ceiling begins to drop. It's fully engulfed in flame, the matted, greasy fur burning. It's howling as it drops on you from above. Uh, Alistair turns around to his right, ducking onto the ground. So he's like lying on the ground on his back, pushing with his legs to try and push far enough away that it's not going to hit him. And again, fires straight towards it. It takes it as well. Yeah, It slumps down the wall uh, and crunches the fire, taking more damage on it as it begins to try and crawl away but can't quite manage it. Two more are moving out of the fog, one coming high to the left, another coming low to the right. So again, Alistair sees them both coming and he sees that there's not really easily a way round both of them because they're both coming for him. So he closes his eyes, sees the room kind of shrouded in mist in this black and white way that he can glimpse the future. And he sees himself jumping and the Wendigo with its right arm slicing the left side of his body up into his neck. And so at the last second, he readjusts and jumps to the right, grabbing its antlers and tucking his legs up. So using its antlers to pull himself off the ground with his left arm, tucking his legs up so that he goes over the bottom one, but moving to the right so that he misses the arm of the top one, landing very ungracefully crumpling to the floor because I did only roll a three, so that was only just better than its natural one that I substituted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the extra few seconds that he has for them to get further away as they're realising that he's managed to slip between them, they get far enough away that the spread from the shotgun is going to hit both. And so I'll roll uh, t- twice for damage, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
That's nine damage for the for one of them, and thirteen for the other one. Uh, one of them slumps to the ground. The other one is still struggling uh, and howling as it tries to pull itself away. You can realize now many many of them are now just trying to get out, hitting for the doorway. Okay, Alistair's gonna the best he can. In fact, I will roll to see how well he manages this. Uh, it's a five, so he trips and stumbles, and it's not too fast, but he starts, I would say running, but kind of jogging painfully back the way he'd come, kind of chasing the other one, and he just, like, screams as he runs to try and frighten it to go even faster as he's also now trying to get out of this corridor that he's effectively sandwiched himself in. Yeah, you can feel the heat behind you as the fire seems to be taking in whatever room is behind you and spreading now up to the roof. Uh, you all impl- okay. you can hear the howls of Wendigos that weren't able to get out of the original room uh, that are burning. You can hear uh, the howls and whimpers of those that hadn't been quite killed in your battle on the ground but you think you may have killed five, maybe more, almost single-handedly. Um, this one creature is limping, bolting for the door uh, as the smoke is rolling overhead. Alistair, you are following after it. So as Alistair's kind of limping, trying to run as fast as he can, he sees the window go in front of him, trip and fall and start to scrabble on the ground. Um, and he walks up to it, looks at the shotgun in his hand, and he goes, ah, thanks. I, uh, yep, needed some help there. And he rises his left arm up and just brings the knife down straight into the back of its neck, and it, like, squeals and wriggles and then just lies flat. He pulls the knife out, flicks it closed, pops it in his pocket, pulls out another one of his, like, incendiary, um, we're calling them Greek fire grenades. Yep. Pulls the pin, tosses it down the corridor just to add even more chaos in case there are others kind of coming out. Um, and then turns again to face the door to try and get out. Uh, you were heading towards the door, the light. Uh, you can see there is very little light outside. Um, you can see the bobbing moving of torchlight as people come back and forth and you hear the roar of an engine as another car seems to enter the parking lot as you stumble to the door. Puck puts an arm around your waist um, and wraps your arm around her shoulder to try and support you um, as you step out into the fresh air. You hadn't realised quite how much damage you had done to yourself, which is going to be a D8. Uh, Yep, that's seven damage. So... Okay. So I'm now down to eight health total. As you put your hand back to your left side, you can feel uh, that the blood is seeping through the bandages and into your clothes now. Uh, You seem to have probably pulled the staples out. As you step outside, Puck is supporting you, and you see very briefly um, as... Thomas and the survivors are kind of piling into the car and getting doors open. Another SUV is pulling in. You recognize another tier SUV pulling into the car park. Uh, And you see Riley with Katana in hand, lunging forwards in a dash, 
pulling the sword from his scabbard as he does so, uh, lunging forwards with a cut as one more Wendigo, the one that seemed to have been trying to get them caught in the doorway, uh, is still fleeing and Riley cuts through its torso in one swoop. Good job, Riley. You hear a boom as the firestorm behind you begins to envelop the full roof of the building. Alistair uh, places his other hand now on his left side, trying to, again, add compression. And it's only now that he realises that the shotgun is gone. He didn't really know when that happened, but at some point it disappeared. And he pushes in as hard as he can, and he looks at Puck, kind of coughing this blood coming out of his mouth. and goes, <coughs> Next time... Or covering the retreat, okay? <coughs> Alistair, you collapse backwards onto the rough gravel of this parking lot. The air is quickly being filled with black smoke from the burning building, warehouse, thing. Um, you can still hear the howls and shrieks of Wendigos caught in the flames. Uh, Puck is next to you. She sort of has caught you halfway through your fall and is helping to lower you to the ground. As you do, uh, the edges of your vision begin to blur, begin to narrow, darkness creeping in until you drop into unconsciousness. You find yourself lying in the minuscule layer of black liquid in the liminal space of your mind. The pain's gone. You can't really feel anything now, just a gentle tingling numbness. I think you did good. You hear the familiar voice. Alistair looks up to see who's talking to him. You see the same figure you saw, you've seen before. A small man in his late twenties, dowdy, short, hunched. You see the black eyes, the cracked glasses. Yeah, well, thanks to your assistance, I guess. I I hold the power, but I can't use it alone. It's equally you as it is me. I'm just a tool. Is this just a speech you have like prepared to make me feel better? Because it's, it's not necessary. You think you have something to feel bad about? Mm. Not really. You killed the monsters. You saved the civilians. A little more property damage, perhaps, than is, strictly speaking, ideal. Goes with the territory, I guess. Comes with the territory, yes. Thank you for accepting my offer, for letting me help you and for helping me. Uh, Alistair, like, he's not quite prepared for this kind of conversation. He wasn't really expecting this conversation. It's like, uh, uh, yeah, you're welcome. I mean, I guess I didn't have a whole lot of choice, but um, yeah, you're welcome. He nods. Thank you. This is going to hurt a little bit. 
and you feel the numbness replaced by a stinging smack across your face as you reel back into consciousness with Puck leaning over you. Ah! There he is. Back Ah, to the world of the living. (coughs) You're not looking too good. uh, Yeah, I was quite happy to be asleep, to be honest. (coughs) Yeah, well, there's someone who wants to talk to you, and uh, he sort of leans into your vision as well. Hey, Dad. Why, why has that become the new slogan for me? I don't understand. Anyway, he's going to start, like, picking you up and carrying you towards an SUV as, like, uh, tears moving into the area. We, uh, we got the survivors out and the p- explosives are in position. So, Puck kind of puts her got- hands on her hips. So, mm, do we think mixing a burning industrial fire with the ex- uh, uh, fire? Sorry, there's smoke in my mouth. Mixing a burning industrial fire with uh, the explosives in the basement. Um, yay or nay? Good or bad? Uh, it'll be fine. It's C4, so it has to have an electrical charge to detonate. Fire won't do it. That is convenient. Yeah. Heath, like, looks at the two of you and like, yeah, and it's like half a building of concrete between the two of them. You realise concrete doesn't burn. Heath, you assume far too much of my education. Okay. No, I don't. <laughs> I know what school you went to. Yeah, it was basically the tier school of whatever for orphans. It's very good. You no, went to a school? Not. I went there. You out? Hildebrand teachers. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm dealing with this one. And he's like, puts you down in like the back of the SUV. And he's like, what, what bits hurt? Uh, uh, mostly my head from spending the last three hours with Puck. Okay, that's a bit rude. <laughs> he's like, he's calling someone over. I think, I think my left lung is punctured, yeah. Mm. A medic begins attending to you, Alistair. And it ah, is... yep. Yeah, you found it. Good job. Yep. It is then you feel a tremor run through the earth beneath your feet. You feel the suspension of the SUV that you are sitting in shake and squeak and complain. As you look up, you realise that something is happening. The wind picks up and the moon is beginning to turn red. Ernest, you come back to yourself, tipping back into reality from your mind. Uh, you feel the sting of cold air on your warm skin. You feel it bite in the back of your throat as you watch this massive, spindly creature drop to its knees. Cord in his Wendigo form is howling, strangled in pain. He's digging his antlers into the ground as he pours at his head trying to break the pressure that is building there the pressure that you've caused inside his mind as he struggles and struggles uh, you see him begin to curl up smaller and smaller hands clasped over his head holding onto the antlers as he continues to moan and wail getting smaller and smaller as he curls himself into a tight ball on the ground the rest of the Wendigos are in a stunned silence. Ernest raises his hands a little bit and looks at the crowd and addresses them. The hour has come. 
The forces against you are building. There isn't time for talk. There isn't time for debate. If any more of you want to, you can step up now, but you are just wasting time. I will go through each and every one of you to show you why I am the leader here. I am your shepherd, and I will lead you out of this danger. But the time is running out. We have to go now. You see that some begin almost as if they're compelled, pulled by strings, begin to move forwards towards you. Not as if they're going to challenge you in subservient, cringing steps. They keep their heads low. They stay low to the ground as they begin to move towards you, to move behind you, in fact. Others begin to howl again, and you hear um, protests rung, protests ring out through the trees. Some of those who are refusing to go grab those who are going and pull them back. Small fights begin to break out, scrabbling, hissing, clawing, and then more and more of these small insulated fights begin to grow as others seek to separate them. Some fleeing to behind you, others uh, rushing to attack you. Chaos begins to break out into snarling, biting fights. Ernest is going to stand there and then look to the dam, starting to see a glow appear above the ridge and starting to wonder what the hell is Alistair doing up there? Uh, Your eyes are drawn to the ridge where you begin to see a glimmer of fire as what you assume is one of the buildings next to the dam catching a light. But your attention is quickly drawn away and instead it's drawn to the top of the ridge where the town is up the hill from you you begin to see large spotlights blink on one after the other you hear human voices calling out uh, as you realize that the cavalry has in fact arrived and just is going to turn his attention back to the crowd trying to work our way of how am i going to to sort this out so how many appear to be on my side um Here's what I'll do. You roll uh, a D100 plus, let's say, 12. And that's how many of the roughly three or 400 Wendigos you've convinced. 64. 64 plus 12? <laughs> uh, 76. 76. Okay, yeah. so... It's hard to tell. There's maybe, maybe 40 or so behind you. Um, and some trying to protect you from the others, but there's many fights breaking out. It's hard to tell exactly how many. Can you give me a rough estimate on how many Wendigos there are in total? Uh, I would say rough ballpark figure 400. All right, okay, so a small division. Not Yeah, not quite a quarter. Okay. Maybe a fifth of the total number. I mean, that's all right, considering they're, pack, they're not pack animals. Yeah. So how many of them were going to follow an alpha anyway? Yeah, you were you were, it was always going to be an uphill battle trying to convince them to abandon their ethos and everything that's made them what they are. Okay, uh Ernest is going to pull something from his pocket, put it to his lips and blow as hard as he can on his duck caller. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere an eight-year-old's ears. <laughs> I think she might be eleven. I can't remember anymore. Nine. I think, I think she was now, nine. Yeah. Nine. Oh, who cares? Uh, no, uh, no mighty duck cannot help eight. you. <laughs> she <laughs> was eight in season one, and yeah, was she in season older. one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
very yeah. briefly. Make he's sure. ba- no, it's basically just because the loudest thing he has to like try and quiet the din a little bit. All right. Um, seems like, I guess I'll try and talk to them again. Roll, roll. Um, I guess a persuasion check at disadvantage. All right. Do I have any pluses to d- persuasion? No, but Aubrey still needs to fix Not more with mechanics. a duck collar you get. Okay, five. <laughs> Five. Um, a few heads turn in confusion, but yeah, the sound of a duck screaming at them is not really breaking up these fighting, <laughs> like, um, like predators. Bloodthirsty carnivores. Yeah, predators at the top of the food chain. Apex. Yeah, yeah. a duck call apex is not really uh, distracting these apex predators. But the ducks are the apex of apex predators. Um, <laughs> they are nature's all right, soldiers. All right. <laughs> One of these Wendigos, um, when you make the duck call, gores the the other creature that he's fighting, hurls it to the ground, steps over it, and launches himself at you, Antlers, first. Uh, you're quacking on the duck call, your eyes kind of wide, and you begin <laughs> to take a step back as you're realising, oh, this thing's coming really fast. And that's when you hear um, the shrill scream of a bird above you. And there is a swooping, a flap of wings and a crack as something very large descends from on high and slams right into the back of the Wendigo, driving it into the ground. Uh, Bringing it to a stop with a few centimetres between you and the tip of its antlers. (laughs) The duck calls like... (laughs) As he calls it out of his mouth. Uh, Ernest, as you kind of blink in shock you see that it is in fact another wendigo who has dropped from on high as you watch the giant bird wheel back up and away heading towards the ridge again you realize that he must have been dropped by darnell you have a split second where the large deep set eyes of this new wendigo your guardian angel almost uh, meets your gaze and you feel a strange familiarity here before the Wendigo reaches forward and begins to tear at the head of the other. Um, The thing that has been trying to attack you is not quite dead yet at all and they begin to tussle and fight and lock horns. Lock antlers. I keep saying horns. Uh, And you realise that your brother Edgar has joined the fray. Urs is now like, ah, great, okay, so none of them are safe from the tirade of tier agents that are coming. Great. Ernest is going to pull from his pocket uh, the flare gun that he had prepared earlier for basically signalling Alistair. And he's like, well, that place is on fire, which means Alistair must be there (laughs) to some degree. (laughs) So he points it into the air and shoots it. Does this draw attention to him? Um, No more than the duck call did. Uh, There is a bang and the flare arcs up into the sky before exploding. Uh, It is visible from the entirety of the valley. Uh, Fighting in front of you, a few of the Wendigos stop and look up, seeing it blazing in its trail. Ernest calls out as loud as he can over the fray. The tide is coming. Now it can either sweep you away sweep you to your enemies or you can come with me and the tide will protect you 
because time's up. He's going to start walking to the edge of the circle, out of it, and up towards the opposite side of the ridge, the opposite the city's ridge. Yeah. Uh, you cross the the little river that's been winding its way through the runoff from the dam, essentially. Um, you kind of splash through a few feet of water as you make your way up to the opposite bank. There are several dozen of the Wendigos accompanying you, this vanguard that moved to protect you immediately. Others are beginning to cross the river after. There are still some locked in fights, unable to get away. Um, you can see that Edgar seems to be taking particular relish in fighting his erstwhile brothers. You also hear the scream of the giant bird again as it ducks down below, and this time it deposits two more figures with you on this side of the bank, uh, and you realise that it is Ant, and it is the young girl, the Wendigo, who had been a mole inside of the town's survivors. Mm -hmm. Darnell uh, takes off again, but he seems to be heading up above you this time. And then you hear a rumble and a crack that splits the air coming from the dam. Okay, Ernest is going to make his way to a bit of a higher ground and he is going to wait, uh, sending the rest of the Wendigos up over the ridge to the highest point. He's going to wait for the stragglers. All right, you begin to move them back. Uh, looking for higher ground, Edgar seems to be hurrying the last of those who want to come with you. You can already hear the sounds of stone and concrete cracking. You can hear beams squealing as the dam itself begins to split. The explosives were only set in the sort of top right-hand corner, the deepest part of where the turbines were stationed, but even so, a weakness in the dam begins to crack all the way along the top and then down towards the center as water begins to gush. Uh, you can hear it like an incredible wave of thunder rolling as trees are demolished, as stones are overturned, as a flood begins to rage down this valley. At the same time, you see the floodlights swivel down into the valley. You hear the crack of gunfire, um, the roar of human voices as the cousins begin to send their men in force down the slopes uh, to force the Wendigos back into the water. There is utter confusion and chaos amongst the fighting Wendigos. All of those who are willing to follow you have broken away now and they're running for you. Not all of them make it though as water begins to pick up, begins to rush, begins to fill the valley. This torrent has incredible power. You realise that you are much too close even as it is that you've underestimated and you begin uh, calling for them to head to higher ground. Mm. Even as you do, you feel shots whizzing over your head and striking the ground not far from you as some of the cousins try to take shots at your group of Wendigos as they retreat into the woods. Edgar, uh, he levels with you as he begins to transform back into his human shape. Mm. Uh, he is bleeding and scarred, even more ragged and unwell looking than before. But he grins at you. Uh, smiles and he's like, So you dropped by? <laughs> oh, don't do that. <laughs> Shut up. Like a bullet whizzes past and like takes off a clip of Earth's hair. It's like, okay, let's go. Well, where are we going? 
We're just going to go find somewhere else to get shot at. Ernest runs up to the, the top of the bank, leading the rest of the Wendigos, and says, No, so... The beauty of the Americans is they love jurisdiction. Tyr doesn't like to be as, as namby-pandy as that and difficult. Basically, we've got to get across the border. Oh. You yeah. mean we're going to Canada? Yeah, we're going to Canada. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> Another bullet, like, whizzes All past. All right, fine, Canada. <laughs> love Canada. <laughs> Above the valley on an outcropping of stone... Officer Randy, Davo, and Sherman Grimshaw are assembled. Sherman is watching the retreat of Ernest's small bastion of Wendigos as they wind their way up into the mountains and disappear. He's watching through the scope of his rifle when the radio on his belt begins to buzz. Watchman? Oh, he lives. Good to know. Hello. Yes. You're on speaker, by the way. Radios have speaker? Hi. Hello, Randy. I'm here. Hi. Everyone there? Yeah, so you want to um, explain... Uh, yeah, do you want us to, to wade through the river? Do you want us to, I don't know, take a shortcut? Sure, Maybe we should sure just find a chopper. Explain. Just How does that sound, him, Ernest? Talk. What are we supposed to do now? Sherman, be quiet. He's gonna, he's gonna explain it. I hope he explains you, it. Sorry, I just Randy. did the same thing. Ernest, hi, Ernest. Hi, Randy. I kind of feel like we've just been given the shove. Hey guys. Hi, hi, hi. Yes. So, here's the plan. I am going to take this lot across the border, so that the agency, or whatever they're called, the cousins, can't really get to them. These ones have sided with me, which means I can work with them and I can help them. Oh, great. Monster politics. I love this. Yes, basically. Sherman. What? I'm allowed to have opinions, Randy. You can have opinions anytime you like, just not now. So what I need from you guys is I need you guys to go back to the library, grab your stuff while Tia is still very focused, get in the sunshine, and go. Ah, we're going to do a runner. Yeah, just about, because they're going to start asking questions about me, and uh, it'd be great if you guys weren't there for that, because they're going to come after me, so i gotta, I got to go. But um, here's the thing. I don't really know what's happened with the moon or what the, the Yeah, other... I was going to say, hmm, doesn't look yeah, good. Bit weird. Looks a bit apocalyptic. Randy hasn't seen that you want to explain what happened it there? Uh, I don't know a heap, but what I do know is the archipelago is going to be in more danger than ever. The, the, the archipelago <sighs> is a weak spot. It is a thin point between the layers, and whatever's going on here, it's going to affect there. So, my last ask of you guys is to. Go home and protect the archipelago. I don't want you guys going back. Sherman, I don't want you going back and flipping burgers, unless you particularly love that. Well, look, I'm, is this the part where you tell us that you, you're secretly a billionaire and you can afford to pay us to do this? No, but I know the millionaires. 
You're going to go home and what? you're going to talk to Quindex. They're not millionaires, but you can talk to Quindex. They, we have deals organized and you can talk to them to take up what I was doing before. I need you guys there as my eyes and ears just to make sure everything's safe. They'll make sure everything's paid for, everything here has been paid for. No, hold on, hold on. No, Davo. No, we're not going to... We can't get all of the cameras. There's just not time. You can okay, grab some well, of them. All right. Ernest says, go get them now while we're busy. Ernest didn't say that. I'm on Shut speaker. Up, Ernest. Okay. <laughs> all right. Davo's going to go get we his can, cameras. We can buy new cameras, Davo. It's okay. We... So you guys travel home safe, okay? You guys... I enjoyed my time at the archipelago. It was... I can't say I like the archipelago itself, but I loved you guys. And you guys made it a place I was happy to be and a place I wanted to get back to. So make sure you protect it, because you guys are the ones in the know. And that's your job now. Roger that. Okay. Ernest out. Bye, Ernest. Don't die again. Alistair, you feel the rumble as you press the detonator. Uh, You feel it as your convoy of cars are heading back down the road into the town of Slate Ridge. You hear the crack of concrete and the twisting of steel. You hear the roar of water begin to pour into the valley and you hear the cousins begin to move down the slope to force the Wendigos back into the water. You have been stabilised. The hole in your lung has been... uh, It's a bandage on it. Yeah, it's fixed for now. (laughs) Medical terms, you know. Um, You are swaying in the back of the SUV, feeling quite sick. Um, As you return to town, you see the complete organised chaos that is two different agencies working in tandem trying to contain monsters. As you uh, reach the ridge, you step out into the cold night air and it braces you a little. It kind of wakes you up. You begin to feel your communicator buzzing. Hello? Hello? Well, you sound good. Yeah, man, never better. I take it the uh, the fire up on the hill is your doing. Oh yeah, you know, gotta. If I'm gonna do a job, you know, I'm gonna do it right. Gotta make an impact. Yep. Uh, first impressions <laughs> always the key. <laughs> yep. Are you back at the library now? Yeah. Yeah, we just got back. Did you did you get out okay? Yeah, I'm uh I'm on the uh, the other side of the the uh what was it called? Ravine? Uh low beat? I think Lake? I think they just call out a valley. Valley, that's it. Yeah. 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 Also, I took my brother. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's not he'll be he'll be gone by the time you get into the the place place just so you know where he is he's not off running in the the wilderness i have him all right that's good yep. did you did you get anyone else uh the little girl aunt okay and yep you hear him like counting like 70 of the wendigos they followed you yeah i can be very i can be very convincing did they follow you in a they're hungry and they want to eat you way or did they follow you? <laughs> no they were they were stopping the other ones from eating me wow my man's persuasive very persuasive so uh I'm heading across the border that's the that's the goal out of the cousin's jurisdiction these ones I can help these ones these ones want they don't want to be led by someone like Cord I know if I can fix them if that's even possible but my brother is acting more normal so that's a step in the right direction if I can do it with him I should be able to do it with some of them Well, they wouldn't have followed you if they weren't interested, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, and I've got um, Darnell as well. I think he quits. I, I assume if he's coming oh. with me, I assume... I don't know if he even works for T. I don't, I don't know what his job security is like, but he's with me at the moment. Well, listen, um, if you change your mind and they try and eat you, don't come back to Tyr because Heath will be very mad with you for taking Darnell. Uh, when has Heath <laughs> not been very mad at me? Yeah, well, you know, I guess you're free of that now. Yeah. Listen, so, um, um, I'm going to need to throw this away soon. It can be tracked. Hell, yeah. anyone could be listening to this now. It's open channels and all that. Yeah. Alistair, you look around and both Heath and Puck are like listening into an earpiece several metres away. Alistair, he's far in far too much pain to do anything about it, so he just rolls his eyes, and looking at them, rolls his eyes and then goes back to the, com the communicator. He's like, well, Ernest, you look after yourself, right? You too, you don't sound good. Oh, I'm fine. They've um, put a Band-Aid on me or something. I'm, I'll be fine. Mm. But not, <laughs> not just that. I mean, with that guy out there that you've run into a few times and the gun too. You just make sure, well, uh, make sure you're all right. I'll keep my wits about me. Don't worry. Yeah. We've um, still got some clean-up work to do. And uh, then I guess we'll get back on the trail and see what we can do. But I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. You you, you take care of your new friends. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be a joy to live with. <laughs> 
Uh, I'll, I'll do what I can back here to stop Tyr trying to chase you as well. Yeah. Because um, we're not bound by the same rules as the cousins, so... Yeah. I'll do what I can for you. Okay. And I'll, um, I'll say what I said to the Watchmen as well. Whatever's happened tonight, it's going to affect the archipelago as well. The archipelago is a special place, and this type of stuff seems to affect it quite strongly, so... Yeah, I was thinking that too. I'm not going to be it's able to keep an eye on that, but you've got more contacts there, and I'm not going to be able to phone anyone or call anyone for a while, so... If they let me, I'll head straight back as soon as I can and okay. check on things. And um, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Uh, thank you for being the best friend I could ask for. Listen, man. Don't shut down the emotion of it, Alistair. I... I have a punctured lung. I I can't talk fast. It's okay. You don't need to talk. Yeah, dude. Look, I I don't know how many times or how many ways you've saved my life, but, um... Yeah. I think I'm going to have to lie down pretty soon. So, um... Goodbye, Ernest. I'll miss you. I'll miss you too. (laughs) And you hear the child go dead. Alistair hears the line go dead and the communicator slips out of his fingers. He closes his eyes and passes out. He sees you pass out and then looks to Puck and then looks back to you. Fine. (laughs) Puck comes and sort of like props Alistair up and begins to like try and make him comfortable. Yeah. Heath walks a little bit away from them and changes the channel on his uh, radio. Marshall, can you hear me? Morning Star. Yeah, I got you coming in uh, loud and clear, buddy. What's up? Fantastic. I need you to move your men. We've got a bit of a situation. Uh... Okay. Listen, we're a little busy on the cleanup right now. Um... What? Understand. You can focus on the guys down in the uh, little ravine area. But we've got a whole situation up on the dam. We had dozens of them. Like, a lot of them. It's on fire at the moment, but there are multiple routes out. I don't want any of them scurrying out of there. I want us to draw our focus onto the dam. Okay, uh, listen. What if I divert my, uh, my backup team from the town and I'll send those up your way? That'll be enough for now, but I'll need more. Okay, well, uh, as soon as I can spare some people from the valley, I can uh, divert them that way. But uh, it's a bit of a mess out there at the moment. Anything down there will just be scurrying crews. We've got a big group up in the dam. Okay, 
Understood. I'll, uh, I'll make it happen. What was with that delay when I gave you the order of the dam? We were ready to go, and, uh... Switches it off. As Heath speaks, he's looking out at the valley, and he narrows his eyes, trying to spy the tiny column of moving shadows as they disappear into the opposite side of the mountain. He looks back at the unconscious Alistair. Heath whispers to himself, That's as much time as I can buy you. Meanwhile, in the deep basement of a derelict house, hidden in the hills of the Outer Hebrides, a ragged shadow slips through a cellar door. Moving silently down a spiralling staircase of mossy stone, he shoulders open a heavy, rotting door, and proceeds past old trunks and crates stamped with long-forgotten initials. Past ancient primitive computers and battery banks, deeper and deeper he moves into the cellar, until he is lit by a shifting, coalescing light. The light itself emanates from the displays and diodes linked to a large tube of glass. Wires and pumps feed into the tube where they are embedded into a human body. Small, almost childlike, this figure is curled, floating in dense fluid. A monitor displays a faint heartbeat, but steady. The ragged figure removes his rain cape, revealing a monstrous breathing apparatus that covers much of his face and head. With care, he removes the topmost section, blinking deep-set eyes and a deeply scarred forehead. His nose and mouth and neck are still covered. He gazes upon the figure in the tube with something approaching tenderness. With a whirring, clicking sigh, he fishes inside a mouldy, threadbare military greatcoat, withdrawing a doll, the fabric of which is singed and blackened. As he handles the doll, it seems to glitch and fragment. A staticky version forming before the impossibility of the object knits it back together. Moving to a workbench close to the tube, he places the doll down on an examination tray and draws out a sealed case. Flicking the clasps, he draws out a small metal cube assembled from similar metal fragments. As he draws the cube closer to the doll, the fragmenting, hissing static increases. The splitting begins to tear into the fabric of the air around the doll. Reality begins to quake 
burning ozone fills the air as a rumble tears through the ground beneath him. The heartbeat on the monitor quickens.